remember, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We forget that, don't we? I think especially as Americans, this is a very foreign concept to us. But in that moment when we bowed our knees and asked for a Savior, there was a transaction, and you and I were bought from death. And we are indentured to our new master. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves to men. Okay, so we're going to blow through here for a little while and and then uh, ask about it. So let me read a pretty good little portion of Scripture, and then we'll ask you what you think. So listen as we go, because it's interesting stuff. Here we go. Verse 24, brothers, each man is responsible to God. He should remain in the situation that God called him to. Now, verse 25, about virgins... I have a command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who, by God's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Anybody want to say amen? Okay. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. For now, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, and those who mourn as if they did not. Uh, those who buy uh, did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if they were not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried man or unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please, she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, do not, re- not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to, to marry, he should do as he feels, or as he wants, he's not sinning. They should get married, but the man who has settled this matter upon his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone else she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Okay, so let's stop. What in the world... I mean, did did he just tell us that we should not be getting married and we should be encouraging our children not to get married and all to remain celibate, single lives? Is that what Paul is saying here? How many vote for that? Okay, about two of us. All right. We've got counseling after the thing is off. I'm teasing. Uh, How many say, boy, I don't, man, wow. Okay. All right. So what's, what, what is going on in this passage? What's, what is he talking about? What's happening in this passage? Does anyone get a sense of it? Okay, so we've got some hands going. If you look at the, 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 the
look at all the verses, there's one constant line that says devotion to the Lord, devotion to the Lord. So that is his baseline. Uh, he doesn't say, he says, okay, it's okay to marry, it's okay, it's okay to get married, but he says it's not okay, not because he's vouching for celibacy, not because he's vouching for priesthood, but his bottom line is devotion to the Lord, making one more devoted to the Lord. Okay. That, I think, is his bottom line. All right. What else? Um, I, I think in the beginning it says because of the present crisis, hmm. I kind of think he's leading towards what's going on at that time, like maybe with the Romans or something. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think what he's getting at there is that, um, you know, it's there's the good and there's better and there's best. And, and a lot of times, you know, we do things that are good and, and we elevate them into the place of best. Mm-hmm. And so marriage is a good thing and having a husband or wife is good. But for them to be put on the pedestal in the place where God is supposed to be in our lives, is, you know, there's always a danger of that in that type of relationship. Okay. So um, I think what Paul is saying is it's better to have, have a clear devotion to God that's, that's unfettered, where there's you no know, competition for that highest place on the pedestal. But if you are going to engage in these other good things, that's not to lose that uh, perspective of who belongs on top. Okay. All right. Is this for couples who were together but not married? Yeah, he's primarily, you know, he's, he's, he's saying, hey, look, if you're already married, then I'm not telling you to go out and get divorced. I'm not telling you. He says, this is, I'm, I'm talking to uh, couples potentially who have not gotten married at this present time to maybe consider not getting married. And one of them became a believer and the other one is not? No, that's not necessarily the context here on the deal. He kind of says that at the very end, and we'll get to that in a moment. We'll get okay. to the part of the conversation. But he's talking here about, I think, two believers marrying each other, and he's saying, hey, there may be some value in not getting married. Okay, so we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to the other part. Yes, we will, I promise. Is he maybe saying that when you do one thing, you do it best, and then when you start to do two things all of a sudden your ability is split because you're devoted to two things. So that maybe he's saying if you're 100% devoted to God, you do it better than if you're devoted to God and then to your spouse and so on and so forth. You start to split your abilities to be devoted. It's just a natural thing that happens. Sure. Okay. We feel like we're close? Kind of? Okay. I think I think one of the phrases that we used earlier that I think was a great catch in the passage. So go back with me again real quickly. Uh, go back to verse 26. And here's one of the things that's going to help you guys. When you read scripture, you've got to take context. You've got to take the whole thing that's being talked about. And if you, you, you can't just, you, you got to take everything. And he tells you why he's giving this advice. And he tells you why he's giving this advice in verse 26. What does he say? Because of... The present crisis, which simply means this. If the present crisis is going on, this may not apply in that moment. He says, I am giving you this advice based on the present circumstances that we are facing right now. And what were the present circumstances that the church was facing at this point? Anybody know? Absolute persecution. 
See, being a follower of Christ in this moment can cost you your life. It probably, in almost all likelihood, costs you your family and your relationships. And it probably costs you your income. And he said, look, in, in this present crisis, where what it means to follow Christ means you probably are excommunicated from your family, means you probably uh, could be uh, stoned to death, you could be persecuted by the Romans, who are, at that time, remember, burning Christians at the stake and throwing them to the lions. In this moment, in the midst of all that, and you're, in the midst of that, you're going to get married and, and try to have... Wow. Wow. In this present crisis. Okay? So, again, in the context, he's saying, boy, that, that just, that's just going to make what's going on right now that much more complicated to navigate. Does that make sense? Okay. So, but let me ask you this. That's what Scripture's teaching. That is the, that is the biblical truth of the moment. It is, it is what the Bible, it is what the passage was about. But sometimes you and I can take a passage and we can apply it. Okay, we can apply it to other things. It doesn't change the direct meaning of the passage, but there's other application. So let me ask it this way. What he's saying here is, look, it's good not to get too many divided loyalties going in your life, especially the harder life gets, the simpler it is if you can stay focused on serving God. So let me ask you a question. Are there things that we do in our life presently that tend to divide our loyalties? That pull us away from being able to be fully devoted to God? Yes, no. I was going to say, if you guys are saying no, then man, you guys have got a lot easier than I do. All right, so what would maybe be some of those things that, that call out for our loyalty or call out for our attention that make it that much harder to stay focused and single-minded on God? What are some of those things? Having your own business. Having your own business. And here's the thing I think that Paul would say in this moment, just like he said in this moment about marriage. It's not that having your own business is bad. It's not. But if you make that decision that I'm going to do this, you need to do it with a sober mind that says, hey, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And in the midst of doing this, am I still going to be able to give proper devotion to my Lord? Because what's going to be the temptation if you open up your own business and your employee doesn't show up on Sunday? Who's going to show up and open the doors? Yeah, probably, right? And so all the principle here is not that opening a business is bad, but consider the cost. And in the midst of considering the cost, will this ever begin to trump serving God? Does that make sense? Because now you've got a couple places to put your time and attention. Who wins when they conflict? Okay. Buying stuff. Buying stuff. Yeah, my pile is not big enough yet. I'm not sure what I have in my three storage units, but I need another. What else divides our loyalty? Too many priorities. Okay, too many priorities. Maybe maybe a crazy schedule. I am going to do a thousand good things. I'm just never going to get around to the best. Hey, guys, I'm just going to say this out loud, and you guys can get mad at me if you want. You know how many times? All right, just get mad if you get mad. You know how many times that we make calls and appeals and say, hey, would you come serve in your church? Okay, now, guys, just stop, stop and think a second. 
When you serve in the church, you are changing lives eternally, right? Does that make sense? Yes? Yes. Right? Yes? Yes? Okay. Guess what the number one answer is for why people don't serve in church? I'm too busy. What do you think Paul would say in this moment about soccer practice? He'd say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You see, you've got divided loyalties, and the wrong loyalty is probably winning. And got nothing wrong with soccer practice. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when you and I get so involved with so many loyalties and so many obligations and so many commitments that the obligation, the commitment to Christ, begins to not be able to be singular and first, then you've got too many commitments. You've got too many obligations. Okay? One application or, or one truth, but perhaps multiple applications. Anything else? Anything else that divides our loyalty? Fulfilling the needs of raising a family. Okay. Fulfilling the needs of raising a family. And guys, here's what I want to say to you. Hey, if you've got a family, that's a priority. That's an absolute priority. Let me... How many people in the room... How many people in the room have raised a child to adulthood and they turned out somewhat normal? Okay. Of those with your hands up, keep them up, keep them up. Okay. Put your, uh, put your hand down if you were perfect at raising that child. I had a couple of women. Okay. So you can put them down. Here's why I wanted to do that. Because you get that all of our young moms and our young dads are pretty sure they have to be the perfect father. They have to be there for every single dance recital. They have. No, you don't. You don't. You don't. You raise them in the Lord. You, you, do, you do the best you can do today in honor to Jesus Christ. And then tomorrow you do the best you can do. But you're not going to be perfect. Okay. What else? Dating. Dating. Uh-huh. We'll come back. You know what? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we can be devoted, devoted, devoted to the Lord, and all of a sudden we have a three-week relationship and God is gone and whoever we're dating is more important? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that the person that we're dating can have absolutely no care, no involvement, no love for our Savior, and they suddenly become more important than him? Wow. I wonder if Paul knew what he was talking about when he said, be careful, be careful, be careful that you don't mix your devotions. That as you make commitments, and we have to make commitments, that none of those commitments ever come back to challenge number one. That thing that we are to be singular about. Okay, real quick. College. College. Could. You know, again, nothing wrong with college. But uh, don't go off to college and forget God. You know, church has got to fit somewhere into my studies. My commitment to Christ has to be in there. You know what's interesting to me? Guess what nobody in this room said is any sort of a pull or has any sort of distraction to them. Isn't that interesting? Because I think that's probably number one. I, I, I think that may be the one that you and I struggle with more than anything else. Hey, Lynn. Yeah. Hey, yes. Yes. This is, this is God. No. Yes, thank you. Did I forget one? Yeah. How about uh, just selfishness and plain pride? Yeah. 
selfishness and me. Yeah. More often than not, my biggest problem is me. Okay? So you get the principle. The principle that he's coming to, he says, look, in the context of our present experience, life is so chaotic, you need to be sure that you maybe don't get distracted by dividing your loyalties. And ready? And here's the thing, and here is the point. On a really good thing called marriage, you better be careful about that. I think that principle applies today. You and I aren't being persecuted by any man. I mean, sheesh, our measure of persecution is someone goes, oh, you're a Christian. And we go, oh, you're being mean to me. You know, okay, the persecution. But um, you get, we're not being, no one's dying in America that I know for being a Christ follower. And we're not being, most of us ostracized from our families for this. But the principle is still the same. Be careful, be careful, be careful the things you become committed to if they begin to challenge and distract you from the most important commitment of your life. On the deal. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that nobody brought up TV because I think in the American culture that's a huge distraction. I, I want you to know I only watch about 30 hours of TV a day, so I have no idea what, no. <laughs> okay, so good basic principles. So let's go back because one of the questions we asked is what about somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And it actually comes back. Uh, Let's go to verse 39 again. It says, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Okay, But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Uh, But, and what's the next phrase? He must. What he really meant was, it would be nice if. Or it's, it's kind of suggested that. Now, what does it say? He must belong to the Lord. Period. But he's a really, really nice guy. And I, I think he went to church when he was a kid. No, no, no. He must belong to the Lord. Okay? Matter of fact, grab your Bibles. Pop over with me real quick to Second Corinthians. So next book over. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14, here's what it says. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. So I'm just going to, guys, you hear me say, Scripture is clear, clear, clear that a Christian is never to be or place themselves in a marriage relationship with a person who does not know the Lord. Scripture calls it being unequally yoked. What's a yoke? Big old thing you put on an oxen. And here was the here was the power of a yoke. The power of a yoke was that as you were plowing through a hard field, the soil could potentially be too hard for the strength of one oxen. And so what you did is you began to harness multiple strength or greater strength than just one. So you yoked 
two walks in together. But the thing you always hope for, and here's what you need to know, that in this passage, as Jesus is saying this, you've got to remember, it's an, art, an agricultural society. So these guys are farming all the time. And guess what the prized possession of any farmer is? You ready? His oxen. But guess what every farmer longs for? What they called a matched set. Because, 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 you ready for this? If you went out and begin to plow, years of Bible college to be able to draw like that, guys, I want you to know. Okay? Okay, there you go. And you ended up with one full-sized, huge, strong oxen, and you paired them up with a young ox, a baby ox, or a sickly ox, you, it was almost impossible to plow a straight row because one was always pulling tremendously harder than the other one was pulling. And the reality was one was always pulling the other one along. And so God said, and the illustration, I mean, I guarantee you, every person in the room got this when he said it. You're looking for a match set. Which I'm just going to argue in the room, guys, and just say to you, I, I think you are crazy. We'll wait. We'll come back to that. Okay. We'll come back to crazy. So basic principle is you don't do unmatched set. But here's the deal. If you end up in this and one of these is a believer... One of these is a believer, and one of them is not. Okay, They're just pre-Jesus. doesn't make them bad or evil. They're just pre-Jesus. You realize that every decision this ox makes does not include God. Because God makes no sense to that ox. Right? How we're going to spend our finances, where we're going to spend our time, how we're going to raise our children, where we're going to live. God doesn't factor in any of that because God doesn't make any sense to that ox. And every decision is based on human wisdom. This ox believes in God. And if they are truly a God follower, how many of their decisions are based on God? All of them. How ugly is that? And you end up facing a lifetime of conflict. It's why in the passage, you catch the passage, says, what in the world does a follower of Christ have in common with somebody who doesn't know their Jesus? What, how in the world can you do that pairing? Matter of fact, Scripture in Amos chapter 3, verse 3 simply says it this way. Can two people walk together unless they be agreed? Okay, which is simply this. Think about this for a minute. Let's say we get done tonight and we say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. And some of us say, hey, yeah, let's go to Chandler Fashion Center. We'll go to Starbucks there. But what if I say, no, you guys can go to Chandler Fashion Center, but instead I'm going to Santan Village because I like that Starbucks better there. Are we having coffee together? Why? Because we didn't agree on where we were going. You put a believer and a non-believer in a relationship. And I'm going to tell you that nine times out of ten, they will not agree on where they're going. And you ain't having a whole lot of coffee together. Which And here's the other part you need to hear. 
if a believer is going to agree with a non-believer, okay, and because a believer hopefully is factoring in God, and a believer, a non-believer can't, if they're going to find agreement, what does the believer have to leave out of the equation in order to find agreement? God. Because they can no longer say, hey, I think God is asking. I think Scripture says it makes no sense. This person's never going to agree to that. I think we ought to tithe. Are you crazy? So guess what the believer has to do in order to find agreement with the non-believer? They have to leave God out. Which means, for the most part, your home will be lived as a non-believing home. It is a horrible pairing. It is a, ready, can I say it one more time? It is a horrible pairing. And it's why scripture says, he must be a believer. Okay? And I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands here tonight, but I guarantee if I did, and I've said, all right, how many of you women, you, you married the guy, and he, and he was a good guy, and he came to church with you, and, but he wasn't a believer. And, and how many of you have done 20 years of heck? And we'd have hands go up all over this room. We would. Because this isn't, this isn't a sometime story. This is an all-the-time story. Okay, question. I've heard this over the years, different places, been applied to the maturity of Christians as well. Like a mature Christian should not marry a baby Christian. And okay. I, I don't know, I don't see myself how that would apply. Okay. So here's, here's what I will say to you, okay? And I think, I think there is some application. It's surely not what Scripture's teaching directly. The direct teaching of Scripture is, the direct teaching is a, a, a believer and a non-believer don't belong in a paired relationship. And guys, let me, let me just give you one more real quick and then I'm going to come right back to that question. I'm going to say that I believe this, this applies to more than just marriage. I think this applies to deep friendships, See, I don't think, I don't think, because what do you do in deep friendships? You do life together, right? You plow the field of life together. And I'm going to tell you that if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, and you're in a deep, committed relationship with a person who doesn't know Jesus, that relationship has to have conflict. Because there's going to be moments they're going to say, hey, let's go to the nightclub and let's... And if you're a deeply devoted follower of Christ, your answer is supposed to be... No. And then they're going to go, well, you're a jerk, and, you know, this isn't who you've always been, and... Why are you such a stick in the mud? You realize that you can't plow the field. In the deepest moments of life, when life is falling apart, when, when everything you know about life and everything you trust in life is collapsing on you, and let's say maybe someone's been vicious and mean and hurtful to you, what would God say? What would Scripture say to do in a moment when someone's been deeply hurtful and wounding to you? What would God say to do in that moment? Kill him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Forgive your... Yeah, and love your... What do you think a person who does not know God tells you to do in that moment? Wait till their back is turned. Push the accelerator. Right? And, and, and you, you get it. I mean, because that's, what, that, that's, that's where you live if you're not a Christ follower. Guys, this is a... This, I'm just going to suggest to you, this is... I'm not telling you you can't have non-Christian friends. I hope you have thousands, hundreds of non-Christian friends. I'm just saying they can't be your deepest friendships. Because what do followers of Christ and people who don't know Christ have in common? 
They can't be the people you go to for advice. They can't be the people you lean on when life is hurting. It better be a Christ follower who holds that place in your life. Okay? And then back to your thing. I think there is some application to this about maturity. And here's why, and I'm just going to throw this out. All right. And then we got a, we got a question. All right, so here's a... Okay, that's not working. All right, here we go. All right, so do this one with me. Okay, big cat, big ox, little ox. We're there. If this person has figured out following Christ, and I don't care what storms come, this person, this person is fully devoted to following Jesus. This person is still a baby, 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 baby Christian. And what is that person going to say to do when storms come? Ah, freak out, right? Ah, I'm not sure this Jesus stuff works. I, well, we better fix it ourselves. You realize that that still spells the potential for conflict in a relationship. Because they're unmatched in maturity. They will still deal with life very differently. Does that make sense? Now, okay, you ready for this? If you're going to be unmatched, okay, and I, I get it. I get that you can't get it. You're never going to get a perfect pairing. But if you're going to be unmatched, which of the two ought to be the more mature Christian, the husband or the wife? What do you think? Who? Why? Why, why would you say the husband needs to be the more mature Christian of the two? Guy, and God, let me say this out loud. Ladies, 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 ladies. Because you, when you walk down that aisle, are going to stand in front of God and a whole bunch of believers and say, and that man gets to lead my home. Lead my children. And he better be up to it. Which means in the moment when he makes the really, 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 really hard decision and you're sitting there as a wife saying, have you lost your mind? You better believe deep, deep down within your heart that he is a devoted God follower and he is seeking God's face and he is doing the best he knows in that moment. And so that even if he is making a mistake, he is doing the best he can to follow your Lord. Okay? Okay? You turn that around, and you outclass, and you're that much better, and you're that much further along, and now he is making tons and tons of rookie Christian mistakes, and you're outthinking and outliving him spiritually. And I'm just going to tell you, ladies, that is ugly. It is ugly. It is ugly. And the best thing you can do if some mealy mouth, lousy little Christian boy comes up and asks you out for a date is say, grow up and then come ask again. Because I'm, I'm going to date a guy who's further along and challenges me spiritually. And I'm not looking for a wimpy wimp Christian. I'm looking for a man who's devoted to following Christ. Because if it's going to be unbalanced and you're going to put him as the head of your home, then he ought to be the one ready to lead. Don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare marry a man and put him at the head of your home who is miles behind you spiritually. It's crazy. Because then he has to lead. Okay, where are we at on time? Two minutes, all right. So that's enough because we will get into only more trouble if we keep going. 
Any quick questions? Anybody want to yell at me, throw something at me, be mad at me? We got a two-week break. It's okay. All right. One more comment on the equally yoked. Yep. It applies to business as well. Yes. Hey, guys, I, here's what I'm going to say to you guys out loud. I, I think you are, I think it is dumb to go into an equal partnership. That's just my uh, thing. I think you always have to have a leading partner. I think you do. And I think at the end of the day, you are crazy if you go into a business partnership and the lead of that partnership is a person who does not know Jesus. I just think you are crazy. Because guess what that person who doesn't know Jesus, who's in the lead partnership role, is going to do when things get tough? He's going to make decisions. She's going to make decisions that look like a person who does not know Jesus. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how great the business opportunity is. I don't care. You are crazy, crazy, crazy. I guarantee you, if, again, if I asked people to raise hands and say, okay, how many of you went into a party? And everyone agreed. Everybody was there. Everybody said it was all going to be great. And then when tough times came, that person you were partnered with who did not know your Savior started making decisions that were absolutely unbiblical and unscriptural. And you as the Christian got messed over. Do not become unequally yoked. So it's okay if you're going to do a partnership with someone who doesn't know Jesus, make it clear. I'm the prevailing partner. I am going to make biblical and scriptural decisions whenever the decision gets made. You're okay. Lead ox. You're okay. Don't do it the other way. You'll get in trouble. I, you'll get in trouble. We're good? One more. We're mad? One more. Okay. All right. Lynn, wait, one more. One more. Okay. One more. What does he mean at the end of verse 40 when he says, and I think I too have the Spirit of God? Is he saying that because he's single doesn't mean that he doesn't have the Spirit of God? No, no, no. All he's saying right there is he's saying, hey, I, what I've just told you, I am, I am really, really sure that, that I, I have God's seal on what I'm telling you right now. I, I believe I have the Spirit of God in this. This isn't just my idea. I, I believe this is God giving us this message. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. All right, let's bow in prayer. We'll take off. I'll stay for a little while and answer a few questions uh, here at the front if you've got a couple more. So let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it challenges us and changes us. And God, I'm just going to ask, I, I, I've got a feeling that within a room this big and this many people, that there's probably some that would say, wow, I, I am dead center in an unequal relationship. And whether that be a friendship or whether that be a marriage or a business alliance. And I'm just going to ask you that you would provide wisdom. That, that in those relationships that we're completely bound to, like a marriage, they would just say, well, then I've got to live in this moment the way a Christian lives in this moment uh, when they find themselves not equally yoked. I'll, I'll just be the best believing wife, the best believing husband I can possibly be. But God, for people who have not made lifelong commitments, that they would reconsider, that they would say, wow, this is, this is an absolutely dangerous alliance that Scripture just says, do not do, do not do, do not do. And then no matter how tough that is, no matter how hard it is to back up the train, that we would heed your word when it says, do not, do not be unequally yoked in your life. God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys very much. See you in two weeks.